0: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Jonathan Scogmo. He's the founder and CEO at Juken Media. Jonathan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I've actually known about you guys for a while, obviously seen a ton of your content, but maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Totally. Absolutely. Um, Grew up in uh, Chicago, Illinois, okay. actually right outside Chicago. Okay. Um, um, yeah, grew up there and lived there for most of my life until I moved out to LA about 14 years ago.
0: Okay, very cool. You went to university. What did you take and why?
1: Well, I went to uh, Columbia College okay. in Chicago, which is a liberal arts college with a focus on film. Um, okay. Being in media entertainment um, has always been a lifelong dream of mine. Okay. And so um, I really. Uh, enjoyed uh, cinema, and so I thought it was a great kind of focus for me to to um, work on. Sure. So
0: what got you passionate about uh, film and media at an early age?
1: That's a good question. I don't know if there was really one, ty- uh, one kind of uh, incident or okay. one type of uh, initiative that really got me interested in it. I just know I really loved going to the theaters as a okay. kid. Uh, my parents had a, a video camera, home video camera, that I constantly played with, um, constantly uh, made my friends um, uh, uh, be actors in, in my movies and my brother as well. Okay. And so it was just something I was always fascinated with and, and always fascinated with, I think, storytelling and telling great stories, uh, particularly through the medium of, of, of film.
0: Very cool. So walk me through your career up until founding Jukin Media.
1: Yeah. So it all kind of uh, comes together in a, in a nice um, arc that wasn't planned that way.
0: Okay. Um,
1: when I was in college, um, uh, my last seat, my senior year. And right after I graduated, I was very lucky to work on some pretty big films in Chicago that came by. I and mean, there weren't that many films Okay. That, that are shot in Chicago. Obviously it's not like Hollywood, um, but I was very lucky to to land on on some jobs. One particular being uh, the, the Batman movie, oh, uh, the nice. first one. Well, yeah, Christopher Nolan did. So I was very lucky to have, be on such a huge set and, and have a great experience. And obviously, I was extremely low on the total pole, the lowest you can you can you can get um, being in college. Sure. Um, but then I was able to work on a few more films after that. I think it was three or four um, before. Um, moving out to enter LA, which I knew I had to do, even though as much as I love Chicago and still love it, still think it's the greatest city in the world, but I know Los Angeles and Hollywood is is the mega um capital for entertainment and media. And so I just knew I had to make the move. Um and so like I said, I did that about fourteen years ago. And feel free to jump in if you have any yeah. questions, by the way. Sure. Um yeah, so I did that about fourteen years ago and with my resume working on, you know, these, some of these big films in Chicago, I thought it might be, uh, I didn't think it would be too hard to get a job, but luck, but you know, as you know, it, it was actually extremely hard. Um, I don't think people really cared. I also didn't really have the connections, um, moved out here, really didn't know anybody. I knew my roommate at the time who moved out here just a few months before me, Um, but that was really the only person I had a relationship with and, I was doing any type of uh I was trying to do get in any type of job that I could um and I just found it really hard really a struggle for that first few months being lost and I was also somebody who lived at home during college and I would know, commute into the city okay and so it was like almost the first time of me living on my own doing all these uh doing all these things independently um and uh I was doing these random jobs jobs like uh, uh, I was uh, temp, working at a temp agency for a little bit. I worked for uh, I worked for various companies. I was working um, a producer who uh, worked out in in the valley. She um, was a she created some some big shows, and she was in between jobs right now. And I think she felt bad for me, but she gave me a lot of kind of like yard work uh, uh, stuff to do around her home, and she was she was gonna hired me as soon as she started her production company again. But in the meantime I was like driving her kid to school, um, doing that sort of thing. They were very yeah. nice. But uh it, it definitely wasn't in the space, where I need the money and and ended up landing a job at a hotel. Okay. Um again just because I needed the money being a uh 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 checking people and wealthy wealthy people in Beverly Hills. Okay. When um uh, that producer, after doing that for about six months or so, that producer um, who I uh, who befriended um, one of her friends was actually um, was working on a show a pilot and they needed a, a production assistant they okay. needed somebody who uh, would come in and, and and do various jobs around the around the office around the set help doing some research because it was a clip show okay um, it was a six-week you know six-week job um, and I was finally comfortable I think kind of having a steady paycheck if not having one for a little bit from the hotel. But, uh, I was a little worried about quitting my job to go work on the show for six weeks as pilot. And, uh, the producer I remember told me is John, you moved out here to LA to, to uh, to take risks and not work at a, at a fucking hotel. So go, <laughs> go take the job. And I said, Oh my God, you're absolutely right. What am I thinking? So, um, I did that. And, um, Like I said, this job was a clip show. Um, It was a show that was airing on country music television. Okay. And an idea from these clip producers who just happened to also be from Chicago, small production company in Hollywood, where they were taking a different spin on America's Funniest Home Videos and uh, focusing on that CMT audience. And the show was called Country Fried Home Videos. Um, And they wanted me on there for a pilot to help source video content. And so I did that. Um, next thing you know, it that show ended up getting picked up after six weeks, uh, okay. after we doing the production for six weeks. The show aired and did fairly decent numbers, and they wanted, um, they, wanted they ordered, a I think CMT ordered a 12 episode for the first season. And so producers obviously wanted me to come back. Um, at that time, we were getting video submissions, Okay. Um, because we said at the, end of, at the end of that first pilot episode, we said, call to action, send in your VHS tape or DVD for a chance to be on the show. And we had a P.O. box set up in Hollywood.
0: Interesting. So you and, guys were very early on in that space then. Yeah,
1: this was uh, 2005, early 2005. Okay. Um, and okay. so um, it was, the show was a derivative version of America's Funniest Home Videos. Um, we h- brought in a host, a guy named Bill Ingvall, who was really popular at the time because of that blue collar comedy.
0: Yeah. I remember very him. Popular.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeff Foxworthy, Larry, the cable guy. Um, they all kind of came up together and they're really big during that time. So we brought, we brought, uh, Bill on um, got Bill involved and my job literally was to be a researcher on that first season. And my job was to go to the PO box every day and pick up VHS tapes that people would send in. Okay, interesting. uh, And I would come back to my desk with a a a, a, a case full of tapes, and I had a VHS player, and uh, which doesn't seem that long ago. And you know, it's really weird that you had a VHS player on your desk and a DVD player and a little TV monitor, and I'd watch these really bad videos that people would send in across America. Um these really big envelopes that smell really bad. I don't know why. Um <laughs> it has this, like really kind of crazy stench to it, uh kind of a stench that will never go away, I guess. Um but if the video was any good and most of them, like I said, were bad, I had to call that person up, uh get additional clearance footage, get a different get additional paperwork that okay. they had assigned. And then I would ask them if they had like any B-roll, any more footage, and then they would send it in the mail And by the time I actually, like, cleared a video, it could take up to a few weeks. Okay, sure. Um, And I really thought this was an archaic system. Um, And my supervising producer at the time, they had a long background uh, in clearance, and they had a long background in journalism, and they were producing shows for the last 20 years. And I told them that we should kind of reverse the model. Um, We shouldn't let just people rely on people to send in videos. They were also uh looking for for footage they were also looking for footage news organizations and stock footage houses but i said you know there's all this great content online and we should try to source down videos again this is very early 1.1.0 days of online video um where there wasn't any really kind of um i would say main website that was hosting and curating content or people were posting it's kind of like the wild west and particularly in those if you remember it was like a lot of like Anybody uploaded a video online? If you saw a video online during that time, it was a lot of like jackassy wannabe stuff, you know. Um, yeah, I remember those days. Letting, <laughs> yeah, guys laying their crotches on fire, kind of shocking, <laughs> jumping off roofs. It was, it was really kind of shocking stuff. Um, and my producer was me, "Shut up, kid! Don't look, You can't trust that. Um, you should go to the P.O. box every day." And, and you know, whatever. Um, and I, just being the person I am, I thought. There's was a huge opportunity to help source content. I was looking for some websites to find videos. And I finally came across a uh, a video a website that I thought was really good. It was family-friendly content. Um, in the video description, the poster said, hey, uh, this is my cousin doing this funny thing. Um, it was the description, you know, made it very easy for me to think that person owned the video okay. and that I can reach out to them. And so... It was a funny video and I thought it was pretty good quality. And I said, Hey, I reached out to them, sent them a direct message, you know, DMing someone was was also very new at the time. Sure. Particularly on these platforms. Send them a direct message and say, Hey, I want to license your video for this TV show, will you be interested? Okay. We'll pay you, you know, a few hundred bucks. Next thing you know it, I get a response back from this person, and uh, they say, Absolutely you wanna be be on the show. Obviously, uh, everyone want, wants to be on TV and so, sure. Um, i got that their contact information i sent them an, an agreement and they sent over the video and i was able to download it within a few hours very cool and so i thought wow how do i do this over and over and to make a, you know this long story sh- uh, short um i thought it was a really great opportunity to leverage this online video platform that no one ever heard before and get a lot of video content sure. and so i was able to do that over and over and over again and so by the end of the season happened um, while I was still going to the P.O. Box every day, I was actually getting all this great content. And I said, the owners of this small production company, they they thought it was really interesting how this little, this, you know, research or production system was able to clear so much content. And I was doing better than the guys, you know, the supervising producers that were, had all this experience.
0: Interesting. Anyway,
1: by the, by, by the next season, they ended up firing those producers and they decided to make me a producer.
0: Okay. And they
1: said... Why don't you produce a show and teach other researchers how you find content online and why don't you just replicate that? And so I did that and I was using this platform that no one ever used, uh, uh, no one ever heard of before called YouTube.
0: Okay, sure? Yeah, you're very early on then. Yeah. I was very,
1: yeah, I was a very early adopter of the platform. I was very early adopter to find content and use it. And so I really just kind of took advantage of being at the right place at the right time. So, this six week job ended up turning into like almost three years of me working on the show. We produced a few other shows. This wow. one show, I think, went on to six or so, so, uh, five seasons or something, over okay. 100 episodes, something like that. Um, it did really well. Um, and it was interesting. It was a weird time in Hollywood that, if you remember, the writer's strike happened yep. back in 2007 ish, I believe it was. And so, um, online video really started taking off. Obviously, YouTube started taking off. But also, um, scripted TV that we see today, we're in the golden age of scripted TV, so many scripted shows. Well, all those, you know, obviously couldn't happen during the writer's strike, and what happened was there was a, uh, in, in surge of reality shows, non-scripted shows, and clip shows got very popular. Yep. And so every cable network wanted their own version of a clip show, okay. and so I was very successful with this company, and for the show, I became a little bit in high demand in this very... Exclusive underground clip show producing world, right? Sure. And so I, I was the guy to like to produce these shows and find all this content. So I started jumping around freelancing from show to show, producing these type of clip shows. Um, and so I worked on a world's wildest vacation videos, which is I think for True TV uh, or, or, or Travel Channel did another show for True. Worked, produced something for MTV. Um, And then I landed at Discovery. So I started producing shows for about five years or so, um, producing every every type of clip show. Um, And I really really realized the value of this content, this content's not going away. And this is when smartphones really started to become popular, people creating content on smartphones. So not only was it easier to capture really great content, But it was really uh, people wanted to share that content with the world as well as social media and social platforms got more popular. And so the ability for lots of people to see your content became a lot easier. And I felt like there was really a great opportunity to start buying that IP. And so that's kind of led me to the point right before I created Jukin.
0: Okay, so what made you actually decide to create it though and basically go into this full time?
1: Yeah, so seeing kind of the popularity of this content, knowing there's been stock footage houses, right? So just, you know, rainbows and, and skylines and waterfalls and that sort of thing, they're still very popular. I thought it'd be interesting for someone to start creating kind of like a uh, a stock footage library, except with viral content or okay. user-generated content, um, social video. I thought that was a really great opportunity to start curating that content and start buying the rights. And literally, uh, it was 10, 10 years ago. Um, I went to this conference uh, that just happened last week. We're almost—it's we're, we're almost 10 years. Or it happened this week, so we're 10 years to the date actually. Exactly. Um, whenever it was that this conference took place and it's called, it's called MIPCOM. Yeah. Um, okay. it takes place twice a year. Actually, this conference is called MIPP TV. It's a, it's the same same people who throw it. And, uh, I was sent there at a company, I was working for discovery and, um, I was sent to this conference to find video footage for producing the show. Um, that, uh, we needed some international stories, okay. uh, because, They were doing an international version of the show, which had to be two minutes longer in the running time, um, which usually is for international shows. And so they sent me to this conference to find footage. But what I didn't realize is this conference would really spark the idea, or at least trigger the idea, become the inciting incident um, for Duke Media. And so at this conference, you buy and sell the rights to different territories of different TV shows in TV formats. And so it takes place in the south of France as I can. Um, You go into this huge, what they call the Palais uh, area, where there's all these booths of the biggest media companies in the world selling their shows to the smallest production companies uh, from Poland or Turkey, um, or name your favorite European country. They're selling different shows to different territories. They're selling American Idol into Poland. They're selling that into Turkey. Uh, There's these huge kind of, it's a huge kind of buffet of video programming, which these big television screens. And I go there, my mind's blown. First off, I've never been to Europe. Okay. Second off, I've never been to a conference like this. Yeah. And so I was there to find footage, but really I was fun there to find an idea for a company. And, uh, so they're buying the rights to all this footage, and I realize how important right then and there, as I heard in the past from my previous producers, is to own the IP. It is really hard to own intellectual property, um, particularly in a long-form series.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I've always heard it's important, but it's hard to do that because what you need to be is that really uber producer, um, or you need to be have the money and the financing to pay for it yourself oh, or okay. someone else. Yeah. So that's how the only way you really own IP. And so I was actually walking, walking by a booth and I saw, saw a show that was being sold to different territories, a finished show okay. um, that I helped produce. Oh. The show I produced a year or two prior, uh, it was being sold to different territories. And I got a little upset because I was a freelance producer. Again, made a little name for myself, jumping around from show to show. I ended a job on a Friday, started a new job at a new company on a Monday. Got gotcha. you. Um, but I didn't have any ownership. I didn't own any participation. So when I saw uh, this being sold overseas, I realized, you know, I, I got to be able to own the IP, but how do I own the IP? I don't know. I don't have the money. I don't have the the, the the huge background experience. But I thought it was a clip show that I produced that I can, I help produce these stories, these segments, and, the, and I help find these clips. I could own those individual clips and make up a show. Okay. So. I said I'm gonna, you know, literally. I came back from that conference, inspired, realizing that there was this opportunity to market as technology was getting better, realizing that I could own the IP. Um, I quit my job um, for uh, for this production company I was producing for Discovery, and I started buying these individual videos.
0: Very cool, man. No, that's that's cool. So, what show did you create? Is it still around? Or, or walk us
1: through that. The shows when I work worked for other people.
0: No, the one you, that that you created yourself, the first one.
1: So, I quit. So, uh, I'll go into how the kind of company started because now we go back okay. there. So, we're back at the conference. You know, ten years later, and I'm selling like three or four different shows. Sure, um, which is really cool. Finished properties, but what I really did is, I I came back, I quit my job, yeah, and I started buying these individual videos that I made off oh, the show. Oh,
0: okay, yeah. I got you. Very cool. You yeah. put it all together. Okay, what what was that show yeah. called?
1: So, so I wasn't producing it. I I quit. I started buying these videos for I'm, and relicensing them back to ah. other producers. So oh, okay,
0: sense. yeah, no, uh, that totally makes
1: sense. Okay, okay. so. Like the first video I got, I bought it for two hundred bucks about the exclusive rights, okay I knew the production company, I knew the budgets for these shows, which were a lot bigger than they are now, but I knew how much they could pay for it because I knew a lot of the producers on the show I've worked with them uh, in the past. Okay. Um, I knew how much this networks were paying and so I bought that video for two hundred bucks. Uh, I had my lawyer I had a lawyer call a lawyer my drive off license agreement yeah, took that video, licensed it to the show for $2,000. Got you. So I made $1,800 in profit. I wow. took that same video that now I own, re it to somebody else, another show, for a $1,000. Sure. And then I made 2800 bucks. And off that $200 investment and the lawyer drafting up some agreements, I bought 14 more videos.
0: Wow. Interesting. And
1: really, yeah, really started scaling the company from my apartment. So... I was doing this for my apartment. Um, I was, you know, I felt a little liberated because I was working for this production company in the past. The last two companies, you know, making other people rich, making other producers a lot of money. Sure. Um, It it became not such of a creative atmosphere, which I really wanted to get involved in. It became more like a a factory. And I thought, well, if I'm if if I'm doing this for somebody else, I could do it for myself. And so, um, instead of producing a show quite yet, I was starting to find all those videos so other people can produce them. But at least I own the IP. And once you own the IP, I own the perpetual. And so literally this company was as bootstrapped as you can get. Wow. Um, I had people in folding tables in my chairs when I decided to hire them. Wow. People at minimum wage. Uh, My roommate moved out so I turned his bedroom um, into an office and I put two desks in there. Okay. I had two desks in his room. I had a desk in the living room and then a desk uh, in my room where I would work from.
0: Interesting. Okay, so walk me through, because you guys have been around a long time now. Walk me yeah. through that, your journey up until how it's evolved to what you guys are doing today. Is it similar? Is it different? A bit of both? Walk us through that.
1: So in theory, it's the exact same thing. So we're, we're, we're acquiring content, really great stories told by everyday people. Okay. Um, stories that um, involve inspiration, that's something funny. A lot of times that lightning in the bottle moment, Okay. Um, it's that moment where um, you can't remanufacture. The content is authentic, it's organic. Uh, and so that is the content that we acquire that we feel like we can really monetize. And our job is to monetize that video over and over again. Okay. And it's not only good for for us, but it's really good, which we, a lot of our deals today are not so much buyouts, they're more um, red share. And so the original video owner now gets to participate in this revenue. Smart. And so in theory, the companies, that's what we were doing back then. So when I first started, I was only licensing back to the TV shows that in the clip show world that I knew okay. that's how the business started out and that's how it grew organically. It was the first client. Today, you fast forward um, and I can, I can dive into any areas you want, but we're acquiring these great videos. Um, we've now built great tech staff, technology to help us find these videos There are people around the world, helping us find these really great stories. Um, and on the licensing side, we built a marketplace, Think of like a Getty Images for viral video. Sure. Where we're licensing to every, not only clip show, morning show, talk show, um, syndicating our content to media publishers, working with brands and agencies from around the world.
0: Very cool. So this might be a really stupid question, but how do you guys decide what could potentially be another viral video? Because everybody wants to create one. They're very hard to do. And and you guys seem to have had a bunch of them over the years become very viral. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've gotten some of the most viral videos in the world. Yeah. We, we've created videos that you have know, gotten you know millions of views. On our programming side, the other side of our business, we do about 4 billion views a month. Wow. Um, wow! Which makes us one of the largest digital publishers in the entire world. Puts sure. up in ranking next to Disney and Time Warner. Wow. So, you know, because we've been doing this for quite some time, um, and the business hasn't evolved that multi- that much from the core purpose of okay. us trying to monetize that content, we know what content that monetizes really well that we could that goes viral. We actually push in that reality for all the activities that we do because we're seeding it out all over the place. And so because we have so much historical data, that helps us inform on what videos we want to go out and acquire. Ah,
0: smart. Okay, interesting.
1: So yeah, so we're getting we're getting very granular about that data. We have an entire data team that's looking at these videos all day long that helps us make decisions on if we want to acquire a video with two dogs that are over thirty seconds, or a dog and a cat less than thirty seconds.
0: Interesting. Okay,
1: so I, is, I kind of made that up, but that's how granular we're getting.
0: Interesting. So. Are you guys? Do you guys have like your own kind of software that does some of this data crunching for you, or, or how does that kind of work?
1: Yeah, so we built this really incredible um, kind of uh, system that we call Riff. Okay, um, it's an acronym for something that got lost along the way. <laughs> sure, <laughs> um, but it's really kind of the backbone system of our entire entire company. That okay. every department just. And it's really a great. It's it's more of a workflow, customized workflow system that we've been able to evolve and iterate over time as the business has matured and grown.
0: Sure. So, what advice do you give people that are looking to go viral or get picked up by somebody like Jukan Media?
1: Well, I think uh, the latter is that they can always submit us a video. Okay. Um, but. Content that we're looking for that I think is that content that's very genuine and authentic. It's that lightning in the bottle moment. Sure. I think um, there are a lot of content creators. You know, a lot of people make a business creating video content, bloggers, and and, and they blog about it. They're influencers, they're blogs. They're creating their own content. But it, it's content, you know, um, that works for us. is content that's almost done by the accidental creators. Uh, it's really not the people trying to do it on purpose. It's it's really content that that meets meets a very certain criteria that people that want to share, they want to talk about. And often our content becomes that zeitgeist moment, that pop culture moment, whether it was Chewbacca mom, um, (laughs) whether it was a um, guy getting kicked in the head or Tori burning her hair off with a curly (laughs) run.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, it's hard, right? Because – it, yeah, no, that's that's quite fascinating. So, yeah,
1: well, uh, so I would say it's really hard for anyone to kind of create that reality. It sometimes just happens, being at the right time at the right moment. Because honestly, there's no algorithm, no amount of data that we have that we can tell you uh, uh, a woman putting her uh, woman putting a tobacco mask on is going to get 150 million views in 24 hours. Sure. Yeah, so, you know,
0: yeah. I, I and I guess it's also. The person in the video and just how it's kind of not acted out, but just kind of how it plays out. Because if I put on a mask, it's probably not going to get any views, right? Like, like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Me it, neither. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's kind of how it plays out. It's a timing. It's the right time. You know, it's the right moment. It's the right character. It's all those kind of elements that are almost unexplainable, but they sure. happen. I mean, look, like we had a video called Pizza Rat. Okay. Um, it was a rat dragging a piece of pizza down flight of stairs. was 15 seconds long, and it's become you know it's now a Halloween costume. It's something John Oliver references every time he talks about the internet. It's it's a video that um, the New Yorker wrote about it. It's it, it was crazy phenomenon the pizza rat video in New York.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I remember that video too. That's that's actually quite funny. Yeah. So I, I'm curious though, you. you you guys mentioned you create your own content now. How do you decide yeah. what types of content to create? Because that's got to be really challenging in itself.
1: Yeah. So we so there's one side of the business, which I kind of really went into detail, is the licensing syndication, where we're giving everyone our individual videos to sure. use for their own creative, right? Whether that's um, uh, MTV Ridiculousness, Good Morning America. ESPN or some side of um, Pizza Hut wants to use the Pizza Rat video for a commercial, right? We're letting other people use the video. The other side of our business is really how we're taking these really great assets, these really great um, videos that we're then also promoting our licensing side of the business, but we've also then verticalized the library into these different categories and these different content verticals. And so, what we've done is we created programming from these great assets and these great stories um, that fall in line in each one of these verticals. So, we have our pet vertical called the Pet Collective. Right. We have our People Are Awesome vertical, which is inspiring ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Sure. We have Fail Army. Yeah. Um, and what we've done is create really great audience, we've really great loyal fan base and audiences. Um, We mentioned we get about 4 billion-ish views a month, and we have about 180 million fans between our five verticals. And so we're programming content anywhere between 30 seconds and five minutes long, whether that's the individual video we're promoting for our licensing business, or it's a compilation of videos, it's a montage of videos, it's videos of factoids, or we're creating our original, um, original content from somebody in the video. So we have this great series okay. yeah, called the EO um, on, on People Are Awesome, where we feature one of our creators, one of our video suppliers, um, and we go behind the scenes in, and interview them. And they talk about their life. They talk about their lifestyle. They talk about what inspires them. And so it's really a docu-series. And so that's some of the original content we're doing on these verticals um, that we're super excited about.
0: Sure. So, I, no, I think that's awesome. So, but do you, how do you guys decide which content to kind of create? Is it based on the data and you're like, people really like these types of videos in this category, so we should create a show around that? Or, or how does it kind of be, come together?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a mix between the, the, the looking at the data, looking at what our audience wants, Right now, I'm doing uh, a huge audience study on our audience. Okay. Finding out what their likes are, what their hobbies are, where are they from, what type of content they want. It's always testing and iterating. It's okay. putting different types of formats or different types of videos in front of the audience and really getting that feedback. And I think what's so great about digital content and online content, you can get feedback in real time. Yeah. And we can, we're pretty nimble. We're a small, you know, fairly small company that we could easily shift and easily change things. And so the very next video will have something else. And we'll also customize that video per platform. So the same format that lives that when we post a video, we're posting on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Sure. each each platform is gonna be customized for that audience and for that platform. Ah, okay,
0: interesting. So you do spend the extra time uh, modifying the content to fit the platform. That's actually really good advice for people listening.
1: A- absolutely you have to i mean it's gonna be shorter longer we'll switch scenes around we'll make the opening shorter we'll we'll, we'll butt it in here you know it's 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 a really really customizable um and it's a really interesting process the editors and producers uh do on our end
0: so would you potentially shoot the same clip for example a couple of times for the different platforms or do you handle it in editing or is it a bit of both or it really depends on what you're trying to do
1: combination of both and okay. it's not it's not necessarily the um um you know taking the clip it's also uh, and and doing something different. it's also the way we shoot it ah. that the technical aspects because we're living in a world where, you know, listen, again, I'm a, I'm a student in cinema. Okay. And I love watching things, turning my phone to, you know, oh, there's actually my phone right now, turning my phone over <laughs> okay. um, and, um, you know, watching it uh, horizontal. But we're living in a world, especially the millennials, everything they see is vertical. So yeah. we're shooting it vertically.
0: I was going to ask you that, actually. Yeah. How much content are you shooting vertical? Quite a bit? Especially as so we get.
1: Yeah, if we're getting we're getting bigger on on, on platforms like Snapchat, right. um, where a lot of a lot of folks are watching our content. We're we're definitely doing that. It's kind of crazy because, you know, when we're licensing content, we're finding great stories. We used to almost ding it because it was shot vertically. Now it doesn't matter. It's almost like we we need more vertical video on certain platforms.
0: Interesting. No, that's actually quite shocking. Well, not shocking, I guess. Just how it's kind of evolved. But I'm curious, totally. I'm curious to know, because you always probably get this question, but in, in your experience, how important is having really good high-end gear? Should you be shooting on a phone, a bit of both? Does it really not matter? What are your thoughts on gear?
1: Yeah, so it really kind of depends on what you're going for, right? And who your audience is and, sure. and what's the purpose. You know, we're, we're living in this great technology, technological world way that it doesn't matter what you shoot on. Sure. It doesn't matter. Even I think that's what like even sometimes our videos, why why we're able to license our content to brands and agencies, we're using the fact that it's not shot professionally, that it's authentic. Uh, and that this person holding up your Coca-Cola bottle, he's a fan. And this is why Coca-Cola, you should create a campaign around this person. And because it is a little shaky, you know, it sure. is a little green, just slightly, but it still gets the message across. In fact, our value prop for brands and agencies, uh, when they want to license a piece of content that is user-generated or social video, that they should um, they should care that this content is going to be lit- living natively. On these social platforms, and that sometimes when you put that glossy car commercial or that glossy yeah. car, uh, commercial yeah. on these platforms, people just swipe away. It takes them out of that experience. Yeah. And so when you use a piece of content like what we have, you know, we say it feels very real. And it feels authentic to that platform. And so uh, it's one way how we're almost using the content being not professionally done as an advantage. Sure. So, so we we so we use yeah, we use videos all the way across from the original assets that are shot wrong. Sometimes we'll shoot on iPhone to really high end cameras. So we 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 go across the spectrum.
0: Okay, and it also yeah. probably depends on the target markets you're trying to uh, go after too, That's right? Cool. Because obviously, yep. what is that
1: sorry. I said, what is that purpose? Yeah, exactly. Who you're targeting?
0: Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. And then you're trying to match the content to the platform. Is that kind of a simplified version of what you were totally. you're trying to say? Okay. Interesting.
1: Absolutely. Because sometimes even like a cheesier set will work better for that younger audience. that's not expecting a high end set, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And even like how you set dress and how you your production values. But sometimes it, you need that higher production. Sometimes you, you need that to go to, to have a, you know, three, three set camera with, with all the correct lighting, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's actually quite fascinating because you yeah. talk to some people and they're like, well, you always need to shoot 6K or 8K and and then just, you know, mash it down for whatever platform. And it's like, well, sure, maybe, right? But yeah, it, it's good to hear from somebody like yourself that's obviously doing it, been very successful at it, talk about, well, you might need that, but you also might just need the camera on your phone as well or, or somewhere in, in between there.
1: Yeah, I think it all, and it all comes down to the storytelling. That's number yeah, one. Yeah, okay. Fair I'm enough. Are you going to tell that? Yeah, right. Sure.
0: So, do you guys create custom campaigns and content for some clients for the different platforms, or is that something you guys don't do?
1: Yeah, so we're doing so for brands, particularly. Yeah. They really want to leverage that really loyal fan base that we've been able to build. Okay. Uh, and, uh, on one of our brands. And so they want our distribution. And so we'll sometimes take their assets, particularly for like movie trailers. Yeah. We do a lot of work with the studios. Okay. And so they'll want their, their trailer in front of our audience.
0: Ah, right? sure.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so um, we will put that, we will create a custom campaign, we can create a custom live activation, um, we can take a lot of the video assets that we have in our library um and um, create some sort of listicle or, or theme around the product or the movie that they're launching and our you know they works better for video owners where they get paid on that content and so it's a it's a variety of basket of goods that we can offer folks that will leverage our brands um i'll tell you one other thing that we're doing which is sure. really exciting so we're you know our first window is social video okay but now we're packaging our brands of two of them fail army and pet collective um on ott and connected television interesting and so we are now creating um our own network the 24 7 network with now Congrats, not man. five minute programming blocks or 10 minute programming blocks with 30 seconds on on, on social video and social media, we're now programming 30 minute program blocks, 60 minute programming blocks. Wow. Um, is very exciting for us right now. And we've seen our average watch time a year ago from 60, I think it was uh, 30 minutes to now 65 minutes for the average viewer.
0: Wow, that's huge growth.
1: Yeah, I think people, I think it just shows you the, the power of this content, the power of brands, People love the lean back experience of putting on the pet clock and sitting back and watching pets. And maybe they're cooking dinner while they're doing that. Or maybe they're playing with their pet. Yeah.
0: No, that's fair. Do you, Well, what's your thoughts on... I, I don't know what the term for it is or if there is even a term. And you can tell me if there is. But sometimes you load up something like Netflix and there's so much content that you spend... 20 minutes, a half hour trying to decide what you want to watch. And then by the time you decide, you're kind of bored and, and you're just like, oh, I don't have time anymore. Or you go on to do something else where people want content that they like, that they trust, that's tailored to them in spaces that they're interested in. To you, to your point a second ago, like they'll watch the Pet Collective for an hour or Fail Army or or your other brands oh. because they know and trust that and they don't have to spend that extra time trying to find content. What are your thoughts around that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? What's your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, absolutely. I mean, the people, you know, that tuning in because they know what they're going to expect. They know what they want to see, you know, they're, they're going to, they're, it's this appointment viewing that they really, really understand the content of what's going to be coming out from the content. I think it's so, so powerful to create these really strong brands. Um, brands where you where you know what's what, what's coming up next and what what it's about. I think that really separates, you know. I think uh, folks out there who are creating content that if you have a strong brand, you know you know what people are tuning in for.
0: Yeah, and it keeps that like you're almost overwhelmed by these huge content libraries now, right? And you just, you spend so much time thinking and overanalyzing and then you end up probably not watching anything. Which I always, which I kind of find fascinating how we've almost come back around to just, like, I just want to pull out the vinyl and listen to the album instead of just being, you know, just... Totally. Yeah, it's an interesting space we've
1: come. Too, too much choices is not good. And I think you're starting to see when some of these really big companies that are producing all this content, yeah. the quality... Can't keep up with the quality. The yeah. quality control goes down, and you're starting to see that a little bit with Netflix. There's an article actually this week that the New York Post posted about that. They got some criticism, but it's something I really agree with. Quality is going to go down because there's no way they can possibly keep up that quality control when they're producing that much content, and the end result suffers, and so does the user. And there's been studies that too much choice is not, not too many choices is not is not a good thing. It's just a limited amount. That's why. You have you know huge grocery stores like uh, Trader Joe's with two thousand items as opposed to any other grocery store that might have fifty twenty to fifty thousand items.
0: Interesting. They're they're kind of changing their oh uh, yeah. Interesting. No that that well, makes a need, lot of sense.
1: You don't need sixty uh, you know um, salad dressings. You just have three to choose from, right?
0: Yeah. No, that's actually you know? really good advice. So hey, I, I, well,
1: go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, you create loyalty out of that because you kind of become this trusted curator.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Interesting. So, without maybe giving away anything you don't want to talk about, but I'm curious do you have any predictions on where you see the space going or or things that you kind of see starting to organically happen or is it, or you don't really know? It's. You
1: know what's so fascinating right now? The media landscape is changing so freaking fast. Sure. There are so many different um, choices for consumers. Everyone's competing for eyeballs. Yeah. Everyone's competing for dollars. Subscription is obviously huge. Everything now has a plus in front of it. I don't know when that became a trend in the last three <laughs> months. Sure. ESPN Plus, you know, Apple Plus, whatever, uh, Disney Plus. Everything's a plus now in front of it. Um, you have this unbundling yeah. Um, of of everything and the subscription fees. And you know what's going to happen? The, the consumer is going to end up, that they're complaining about, I think, the bundle and they're pay- complaining about the cable companies, it, rightfully so, to charge so much for content. But once you start adding all those subscription fees, it's going to be more than what you're paying for your cable at the end of the day for the yeah. same amount of content.
0: Well that was that big thing that happened the other day with YouTube TV. They added those new channels and it went up 10, 15 bucks, right? And and you couldn't you basically didn't have a choice. It was like this is the day it's going up. And no, even if you were grandfathered in before when we did a price hike, not this price hike. Everybody gets these and you you need you have to have these channels. And I read yep. an article basically saying the same thing. It was kind of like, well, this feels very much like regular cable TV. Um Yep. Right, so it's it's interesting how the whole thing kind of comes full circle again, right? And we'll probably yeah, go back. Yeah, interesting.
1: So and you kind of see this insurgence of Avod right now. Not subscription is now coming from nowhere. And we're talking about Avod. If you know, like the Pluto TVs right. of the world that was just bought out by Viacom. Yeah, that's an interesting model as well. Sure.
0: Yeah. No, that's fair. So you guys recently won an award at the Media Excellence Awards, and you won one last year do you want to talk about the importance of award shows and just getting your content out there and, and being recognized for what you're creating?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, these award shows, it really kind of shows a spotlight on some of the original content that we're creating. So I think the the very first, um, the very first, um, award that we won was last year. It was for a series that we did for, uh, go 90, which is Verizon's video platform. Yeah. Um, it was a documentary series, all shot by social video, Make um, shot on the ground, cut together. Um, we we kind of took a new stab at, at documentaries, and so it was shot shot together through the person's point of view around these really great cultural events. It was a really great. Uh, each episode had a different cultural event, told through the eyes of people on the ground, um, and it was a great series. And it was really awesome to get recognized for that series, and so uh, that kind of you know getting an award like that really kind of helps us put the stamp of approval on some of the content that we're creating. And so we tra- decided to get stabbed um, at this new type of series, this new type of uh, documentary. And uh, it was really great to win that award. And this, last year we won an award for uh, a docu-series that we did um, based on our brand, People Are Awesome. Sure. Um, we found this really great talent um, out of Europe. that were creating these really great stunts. And we said, why don't we do this travel doc series of then creating and building and performing these funds. And again, it was really cool to be recognized um, um, for this award.
0: Very cool. But we're coming to the end of the show, so how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about Jukin Media and any other links you want to mention?
1: Yeah, I think just the best place to find Jukin and hear, learn more about Jukin Media is just, you know, go to our website, jukinmedia.com, whether if you're a buyer that wants content, whether you want to submit content, whether you want to, if you're a brand and you're looking for social video to help run and empower your campaign, we'd love to hear from you. And, you know, if you ever want to drop me a note, you can find me on Twitter at John Scogmo.
0: Perfect. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate you taking the time and your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day,
1: man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the interest. You have a wonderful day as well. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.